Hi everyone, this is Josh Hoffman and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. Today I have Laura Meyer, the founder and CEO of Envision Horizons, a leading e-commerce agency specialized in Amazon and Walmart. Laura is also the co-founder of Gorman Gear, which imports and distributes top-selling and in-house brands on Amazon, as well as provides reporting and marketing services for clients. Welcome, Laura. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Josh. How's your week been so far? Well, as as you may hear in my voice, I had COVID, but we're surviving here. Yeah, uh, yeah but other than that, it's been a great week. It, it hit 70 here in Massachusetts, so I'll take it. We are finally getting into the to the nicer weather. It's nice, yeah. Um, so we actually have a few things in common, uh, obviously including both working in the Amazon space, um, but I actually wanted to start somewhere else that we have in common, which is our college major and minor, uh, which is marketing and entrepreneurship. And All the right. question I want to ask, starting off with is, um, how much of what you learned in college did you end up actually applying to either your work life or starting the agency? Um, and if you say nothing, then what would you teach dif- differently? All right. So I love this question and I love the entrepreneurship department from my alma mater because I, I've actually shared this story before, but my senior year in one of my, um, one of my entrepreneurship marketing courses, the professor, Mark Lacker, shout out to Mark. He gave us this amazing assignment where we had to go on LinkedIn reach out to at least five alumni and set up a cold networking call with them. And as a senior in college, this is pretty intimidating. You're like, what do I say to them? What do I do? And I feel like that built such a foundation in my confidence in networking. And I joke, but this is reality, that I actually got my job at Amazon out of college because I applied that skill set and I found a woman on LinkedIn who worked at Amazon Media Group in New York City who I had two mutual connections with. And I reached out to this woman, Nina, who I still stay in touch with today. And I was like, hey, tell me about your time working at Amazon. I applied to the job and would love to learn more. She then referred me internally. I got the interview. I got the job and talk about kickstarting my career at age 23, 22, whatever it was. So that is a skill set. I give full credit to Miami University's entrepreneurship department. Um, And then another great lesson I learned from one of my more quirky, charismatic professors, uh, Jim Friedman, Uh, he has a saying that is ingrained in me forever that everything you do makes a statement. And my employees and team members are going to like, they kill me because I say that all the time of like, if you send a half-assed email or if you, you know, you just don't give something a hundred percent, everything you do makes a statement, whether it's internally or to a client um, or even, you know, people you meet on the street, you know, Uh, it's exhausting to think about it, uh, think about life that way, but it is so true. Do you see yourself as an extrovert? So this is a great question as well. I, you know, COVID's really made me rethink my definition of, or my identity as an extrovert because I've absolutely become more of a homebody. Um, But I do feel energized socializing. Therefore, 
I am on the extroverted side of the spectrum, but I absolutely need that recharge in order to enjoy socializing. I completely agree. Do any, any chance, you know, your Myers-Briggs? No, I don't. I, I, you know, I took that in college, but it's been a few years. May, may have changed anyway. Totally. Um, got started in Amazon. Um, I'm going to obviously assume that that kind of led to eventually starting the agency. Do you mind kind of describing uh, how you got started in digital marketing and, and starting the agency? Absolutely. So I worked for Amazon's media group and I was, you know, I'm still so grateful for that opportunity. It was like getting a free master's in retail and digital marketing uh, because I was a part of this new initiative for green professionals. And Amazon did this very intensive six month training before we were even making the money. So thank you, Amazon. I guess you're getting your ROI on it now that I have this agency. Okay. And um, so I learned retail, although I grew up working in my dad's hardware store. So going to Ace Hardware conventions were family vacations. So I've always known the retail side of things, uh, but this was really my deep dive into digital. And then after Amazon, I worked for another ad tech company and then in 2017, started Envision Horizons. How did you get your first customer? Oh, okay. So I had some early first customers that, you know, in reality, weren't like real customers. Uh, at 25 years old, I had some learning curves of identifying what makes a good client. And I did end up getting my first quote, real client through networking. Once again, going back to uh, the earlier story of learning how to network my senior year of college. Um, and I think most agencies see this. It's very relationship driven. And, uh, you know, shout out to Aura Organics, who was really my first real customer. And they took a chance on me. Um, and they, you know, we ended up working with them, I think, like two and a half years. And we're able to build a great business. So really thankful to them. Your shout outs are great. I will hopefully get it all. <laughs> we'll make them happy. Maybe, maybe, maybe they get, maybe they come across it. Yeah. But, um, you know, exactly. I'm very thankful for the people along the way. <laughs> I know. I think it's great that you, that you're giving them credit. Um, you actually mentioned good client. Uh, what would you then separate as a good client versus, I don't know if you want to call them a bad client or a client that takes too much time kind of thing. Mm -hmm. How would you, how would you break that down? Well, now versus then is slightly different, of course, but I think the biggest thing in terms of what defines a good client and a not not so much of a fit client, shall we yeah. say it, put a little positive spin on it. It's much better. Is is really do they see my business and my team as an extension versus just a vendor? Uh, you know, the analogy of like if they're just trying to wring us out like a towel and get every dollar's worth from us, then they're they're a toxic partner. Um, if they see us as wanting to build our business as well as their business, and it's this mutually beneficial relationship, amazing. Like those are our strongest partnerships. Those are the partnerships we've been able to do the most work for. Um, and I also really like to say clients that are open to testing. A big red flag for me when I got when I get on sales calls is if they spend the first five minutes complaining about Amazon and how much they hate Amazon, and I'm like. I can't fix Amazon. Okay. I'm, I'm here to, to help you navigate it. But if you're not on board of making this a great channel for you, this is not going to be a great partnership for me either. 
for for marketers that maybe aren't currently in Amazon, um, and maybe they're doing like more stand or other types of digital marketing, whether it's you know Google Analytics or other PPC or things like that. Um, what is it like to get into the Amazon world? So, are there any similarities? Is like this whole new world that you need to learn? What's what's the diving into the Amazon world like? It's it's a rabbit hole. You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I still learn things to this day. And I've been in this rabbit hole for over five years now. So in terms of learning the ways, I think if you want to take the, even if it's a smaller financial risk of just sell something yourself first, Yes, I'm a big, like a big advocate of learning by doing. And then it really forces you to, to start to listen to great podcasts about Amazon selling, start reading blogs, YouTube videos, et cetera. And that's how I started my agency is when I left my previous job, I immediately started ATAC, which is a men's undershirt brand that I sell on Amazon to this day. And that's how I learned a lot of the gaps that I didn't yet know. So importing, sourcing, logistics, some of the operations, what the heck a GS1 UPC was, how to do a trademark. All of those things are very relevant to what we do for our clients because uh, there's so many nuances. And I'm a, I just think going through the motions first is the best way to dive in because otherwise, uh, you know, it, it's hard to know what you don't know. Yeah, I would also add that I think more than uh, maybe more than most industries, um, I think Amazon changes every two or three years, and we're talking like like can't even use you can't even use what you used to use. So, um, you know, just first getting in, and I think people didn't even realize that you could be like a private label seller, just one person, and then you do that, and then then the PPC world comes into play, and then you have to learn all about PPC, and then PPC gets really expensive, so you have to learn where the margins are. So. Yeah, um, and then you have to learn DSP, OTT, yeah. and audio ads, and all the other crazy uh, advertising solutions that they're scaling out. But um, I think obviously, what the benefit is there is that they're you're bringing Amazon's doing a lot of the marketing work. So it's you know I think you mentioned in another uh, something else I listened to that it was forty percent, and I don't know what year this was, but forty percent of uh, searches now happen on Amazon, or is it sixty? Oh, yeah. No, I remember this quote. This was like back from 2019, I think. I have no idea what it is today, but I'm sure. I I think it is 60% of like online. I think it's uh, like online product searches or shopping searches, not all internet searches, but anything that is e-commerce related. And do you work with anyone that, you know, maybe was in retail or in another e-commerce platform and then was trying to go omni-channel? And then the other part of that question is, what is the kind of importance of going omni-channel? Most of my clients are omni-channel. We do have a few Amazon native clients, but even those clients have either launched Shopify stores or launched in Target. I think it is so important to have an omni-channel strategy. I, you know, you see what's happened and maybe you've followed this, maybe you haven't with these D to C businesses that have crazy VC backing, et cetera. And the changing landscape of what happened with Facebook and the tracking and iOS 14 and so forth, they can't be on just their D to C now. 
because it's way too expensive. And I honestly believe they're leaving money on the table. I've seen from some of our clients that when their business grows with Target, their business also grows on Amazon because I like, I, I actually really love Target as a retail partner for a lot of brands. And, you know, I've also seen this with Sephora brands, with Ulta brands. Um, I haven't seen it as much with, with Walmart, to be honest, but Walmart's so big anyways, um, that having the omni-channels presence is just a great brand building exercise. Uh, oftentimes, Target or Nordstrom or some of these other retailers, they're a very small percent of the total revenue for brands. But just having that notoriety of being there and that shelf space, I think can do wonders for brands when done correctly. Maybe this is a bad question, but um, would would you say, is there any difference between branding for when you're branding for retail versus e-commerce? Another great question. I do. I, I think that there's a major shift with packaging design and branding right now. I actually have been advising a lot of our clients more recently to try and avoid white packaging because in the SERP, the SERP background is white. You get lost in the shuffle, right? It's not very eye-catching. Now, there are creative kind of graphic design things you can do, like playing with the shadowing, making sure that you have really bold font. And another thing that I've seen as a trend that I think is great is more simplistic packaging that's designed for e-commerce. Because if you think back to kind of more brick and mortar packaging, there's a lot of information there because they have to tell the value proposition of the product on the bottle, on the packaging. In e-commerce, you can highlight all of those product value propositions on the product detail page. And what's actually really important is that the packaging says what the heck the product is. And it's like a billboard and not a pamphlet for the product. No, that, yeah, that completely makes sense. Uh, I never even thought about it like that. Um, tying to uh, not, not only this omni-channel approach, but just you mentioned um, kind of testing and making sure that you have customers that like testing, uh, mm-hmm. which is obviously more on like the data and reporting side. And I know that's something that you have focused on. Um, very specifically with your firm. So do you mind kind of talking about the the data and reporting side of your business? Absolutely. Uh, so about two and a half years ago, we started My Horizons, which is our Amazon analytics platform. And for one, I've been pro seller central from the very beginning because I think it's so important And the beauty of the digital world is that you have more data and you can make more informed decisions with the data. So we started My Horizons really back in like 2018. It started in an Excel spreadsheet. Now it's this beautiful platform. We're actually releasing the 2.0 version of it next week. It's in testing right now. So super exciting. And, you know, through it, we track things like lifetime value of the customer, repurchase rates, average order values, purchase combinations, profitability, um, profitability by specific product or by ASIN. And with Amazon, there's over 80 reports that you can technically download from Seller Central. 
no one has time to do that <laughs> and, and build the pivot tables and try and find either what's wrong with the business opportunity. And I felt it was very important for my agency to be able to automate that as much as we can so that we can provide the most value to our clients as possible. Um, so that's how my horizon started. And then what we're really focused on is showing trends and data is great, but it's very one dimensional. We want to be three dimensional in that here's the trends. Here's an explanation as to why this trend occurred and here's what to do about it. And that's what we're designing with the SaaS version of my horizon. So for the last two and a half, three years, um, the agency has been using this platform. Now we're releasing it publicly as almost like a self-service option for either emerging brands or larger brands or even other agencies. We're very uh, competitive friendly, shall we say, right? We're, we're all working through the same issues. Um, so that's, you know, that's what's quote on the horizons for the next few weeks. Uh, I think we might have mentioned this prior to the call, but um, I think uh, Query Stacks, the company that we actually just got acquired, uh, yeah. we made a reporting as well. And, and actually our founder, um, the way it all started is she had very similar. She ran her own agency um, and she was tired of downloading all the reports. And then we automated the whole process. So yes, we, we speak the same game there. Yeah. I mean, it's so much work and look, Amazon requires so much time and bandwidth to do it correctly that the last thing you want to do is ha either yourself or a team member have to go spend five to six hours to try and figure out some issue, you know, save yourself the time, save yourself the bandwidth. Uh, even if you are leveraging, you know, virtual, virtual assistance overseas, that's still time and money that could be applied in working on your business versus in your business. I love that phrase. Um, yeah, and I would actually add to that that I think that's the, really the important of especially uh, marketing agencies in general, but especially Amazon agencies where I think it's such specific knowledge that it's really hard to maybe find like that one person out there if you wanted to pull them in-house. Um, and I think it just makes sense to you. I mean, you know, it's always a build by kind of conversation, but um, I think it, always, it usually makes sense to go to an agency because they have this entire team that, you know, it's not like you can hire or it would even make sense to hire five people in-house um, however, you can have, you know, 30 people, um, with an agency. So I, I always think that, um, Amazon is just so specific that it, it always helps going with an agency as opposed to trying to do it in-house. But, um, what do you think, what do you think just holding on the reporting and the data side, what do you think most people do wrong with data? Oh, you know, I've never really thought about this too intensely, but, I think the big thing with data is just not knowing what you're looking for, right? And that goes back to finding a, a platform that gives good actionable insights is if you're not super knowledgeable on Amazon, you're, you know, you're going to look at the obvious. You're going to look at sales. You're going to look at advertising performance um, where I think a lot of, uh, maybe more novice or even just too busy of uh, e-com or brand managers maybe fall short with data is really studying SEO data, um, studying your organic rankings, studying your keyword indexing. That I think is really a silent influencer to your success overall on the platform. Um, 
And then, you know, the thing that always drives us nuts is when Amazon does like a wrong pricing error or some suppression. And if you're not super familiar with the Amazon platform or Seller Central UI, uh, knowing where to look, like the brand health, or do you look at stranded inventory? Um, Because you could be losing a lot of sales for some weird reason that Amazon flagged. What tools do you use uh, besides your own tools? Great question. We use Helium 10. Uh, We use Jungle Scout. Uh, we've been doing some testing with PicFu for more A-B testing of imagery. And then there's some other smaller things that we use. Uh, I'd honestly have to check my SaaS uh, invoices for the yeah. month because my, my team mostly makes those decisions. <laughs> why, why Helium 10 and Jungle Scout? Do you, do you get something different from both of them? Well, with my tool, we don't scrape any data. And so when it comes to... Looking at things like keyword volume, uh, estimated sales of competitors, having an like just having another data point to estimate market share, in addition to all the new tools Amazon's rolled out, like Product Opportunity Explorer, um, brand analytics have really built out a lot. I just like to have several data points and points of reference. Would you Would you recommend one over the other? I think they both have their strengths. And honestly, we have both because we have team members internally. Some are team Jungle Scout, some are team Helium 10. And it's not like the subscriptions are so expensive that we can't afford both. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Um, and then just seeing the growth, honestly, of of your agency over the past, especially the year, but obviously the last two years, um, what do you find most difficult when uh, hiring new employees? Well, I think, and this is the case for any business, is how someone interviews versus how they actually perform can be very hard to see until they're actually in the seat. And, you know, we've had people who interviewed amazingly and they didn't last 60 days with us. We've had people where we are kind of on the edge, we're like, ah, like market's hot, like, We'll, we'll test them as like an associate and then maybe train them up. And they've been total rock stars. For me, I really try and hire based on grit and work ethic and attitude more than experience. Uh, where I failed in the past is hiring by experience. And then you have ego, you have uh, kind of some entitlement and that can really ruin the internal culture. And I'll say in the early days, I was really nervous about firing people uh, or letting people go. That's a better term. Uh, because I was worried about how it would impact the team. But when you have really good team members and you let go of bad apples, the good team members appreciate that. Because usually if you're seeing someone as a bad apple, it's impacting A players and probably causing more stress or causing more, more work for them. And I now see it more as like a mother bear protection <laughs> of my team and this culture I've worked so hard to build. Um, and yeah, I, I think having people that care uh, is is way more important that than someone who has 10 plus years experience. So it all goes back to core values. And I know that that's something... 
that's taught a lot in business books and it's a little cheesy, but it's how we do our 360 reviews. It's how we grade on our hiring. Um, one thing that's been really tricky is we've always wanted and, and had uh, presentations as a part of our hiring process. And in the last six months, I think we've lost good talent because of that, because other companies are moving so much faster and they're not requiring good prospects to do work. And I've been conflicted on this because in the early days, we hired people without projects. And then that first week, you see them put together a agenda or report for a client and you're like, oh, no, like, you know, there's spelling errors, there's grammatical errors. What did I do? Um and you you think that if had they done a project before you may have caught that however definitely definitely so this is a this is a catch 22 situation right now where we've what we've done is we've gone softer on the requirements for the presentation of like you know put together some thoughts and talk us through this prompt versus put together 10 slides uh, no, I think that totally makes sense. And and I guess it is totally a catch-22 and it's which, whichever side you kind of want to take advantage of. Um, yeah. As we as we come up to the end, I just have a few more questions. Um, first one is, is any just quick like books that you would recommend either on marketing, Amazon, anything, anything, even business? Okay. So, I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull up my Audible account right now. So yes. I do, I do audio uh, books because I have a one and a half year old. So I'm that too as well then. Yeah, I'm on the move. So the the book I most recently finished, this is not like an Amazon or marketing book, but I found it fascinating. Uh, it's called Cultish by Amanda Montel. It's all about cults, uh, but it talks about like the cultist, cultistness is that a word, uh, of like multi-level marketing companies oh. about group fitness Uh, But it also goes about like the crazy suicide cults as well. So warning there. But as a marketer, I'm fascinated, right? Because I work with cult beauty brands. And like it talks about how with cults and even like Silicon Valley startup mentality of like it's us versus them. That's very much a big cult thing. Uh, There's a whole section on Scientology, which I'm a little, you know, kind of fascinated by that whole concept too. Um, so that's a great one. I just started on the five dysfunctions of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little dry, but it it's oh, good. Look, so you can you can get me with all that. Okay, uh, one I actually read on my way to Prosper because I had been a homebody for so long, and I feel I felt like I had lost my charisma. Yeah, is how to talk to anyone? Yeah, yeah. ninety two ways. Or 92 little tricks for big success on relationships. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of the more recent ones I've finished. I did read The Ride of a Lifetime about the former CEO of Disney. That one was interesting. Um, one of the books I read years ago that I don't see in... Oh, this must be in a different library. Um I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's from the founder of Blackstone and his whole career journey. Um, and that's really fascinating. Obviously, a different time in the world uh, in, in terms of building a major financial institution. But it there's takes. some, yes, what it takes. Uh, but that's a good one that resonated with me as well. I, I could go on. I listen to 
Um, Sapiens, another favorite book of mine. Everyone is recommending that. That has yeah. to be my um, Atomic Habits. I think that's kind of like a standard. Got that arm's reach. Yeah, that's like the, the big one this year. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I think I, we, my husband and I listened to that one on a road trip we did like five years ago. Really? As we're, as we're I like. Mean, I feel like it's been blowing up the last two years, but uh, you're saying five years. Yeah, no, it's been around. We listened to it uh, when we were road tripping through Montana and Wyoming. I'm going up there soon. Or maybe, maybe actually, no, this was our road trip in Oregon. It was Sapiens we listened to on the Montana road trip. You're like, I I kid you not, you're like the fourth person last two weeks to recommend Sapiens. So (laughs) yeah, I guess one's resurfacing too. Oh, also another one I just finished, sorry, is Quiet. Which one? one, It's called Quiet. Uh, It's about uh, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. So I am married to an introvert and as a business leader, I have introverted team members too. And it just talks about how, especially the American society is so built on rewarding the extroverted way of life and how we really should praise what introverts bring to our society as well and how to embrace their strengths. Tim Ferriss talks about that book uh, fairly often. He's, oh, he he's does. Okay. <laughs> um, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Well, in uh, I guess in the theme of the book I just mentioned, I think listening is huge. And I think there's a lot of marketers and sales reps that do more talking than listening. And that's how you learn what you should be saying to your audience and how to acquire that audience. So I think that is a really powerful skill set. And active listening is something we do trainings on with our own client services team. And actually in the early days, I used to use this uh, software called Uber Conference. I don't even know if they're around anymore, but it would give you a breakdown of every person's time that they were speaking And I used to really encourage my team that you want the client to talk more than you. Yeah, we used to be using Uber conference in the beginning too. I don't know what, I guess what happened to that. Google. Um, Yeah. 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 Uh, They just didn't make it through the pandemic. I I mean, they're still probably there, but Um, last question is what do you enjoy talking about the most that you normally don't get an opportunity to talk about? I, I do always like talking about bootstrapping and the unsexy side of entrepreneurship. Uh, to this point, I've accepted no external funding for my business. Uh, it's been completely built from the ground up. And I think that bootstrapping is something that should be celebrated more. And, you know, there's been a lot of hard decisions I've had to make along the way that were, I would say, more financially strained decisions versus probably what would have been the best decision. But in that moment, you have to do what you have to do to keep the business moving forward. Uh, So I think that's, you know, something that I think should be celebrated more and those hardships that come along the way with bootstrapping. 
It's yeah. not sexy at all. <laughs> oh, and, and I actually think that you sometimes get more creative without a larger budget, and that actually can turn out to be a better result in the end um, when you're kind of constrained on those on those resources. So, look uh, today, now that I have a profitable business, my software is launching, and I still don't have to answer to anyone. I'm feeling like it's worth it, but probably in those moments <laughs> where, you know, I'm stressing because I just paid taxes and I have payroll due and I'm like, how the, you know, how the heck am I going to make payroll? And I'm, you know, employees coming to me saying that they got an offer somewhere and they want me to match it. And it's just, you know, that gets stressful. Uh, but it is a reality of building a business organically. Sure. No, that was great. Um, and as, as we come to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you uh, and anything else you'd like to add. Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm very open to connecting. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram, but that's more personal. That's photos of babies and dogs and meals I cook. Uh, and then you can always go to our website, envisionhorizons.com. Perfect. And thank you so much for coming on the show. As always, I hope everyone learned something new today and gathered a few actionable steps on how to improve your own marketing efforts. And on that note, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.